It's good to be uh, here to bring the word today. As you've heard earlier in the service, this is a Sunday that we always observe as uh, a day of prayer for persecuted church around the world. And I'm really glad that we do this, especially now having more connections in the ministry that I'm doing with people who are in North Africa and the Middle East, especially, where there is a lot of persecution that goes on. And I'll be sharing some of those real, live, current stories from those people that I work with overseas. Um, but I'm really glad that we do it for, for three reasons. Number one, we need to do it. God's Word says we should remember our family members, our brothers and sisters who are suffering today simply because they believe in Jesus. We should remember them and pray for them. Number two, I'm glad we do it because we can learn a lot from them and from their faith and their courage and their consistency with the Lord. Number three, I'm glad we do it because who knows what we will face in the future, or some some of what we're facing now, but what we may face in the future and how costly it might be in our country to follow Jesus. So we need to be thinking about these things for our own sake and for for the future of the church. So we're looking, if you want to look at it in your Bible, we're looking at uh, the conclusion of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, where after Jesus lists a number of things that we will be blessed for, being poor in spirit and all the rest, the conclusion is about persecution. Uh, Would you have expected this? Well, we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. But follow with me, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. This is God's word. May he bless it to us. So in the book of Hebrews, here's what the author of Hebrews says. And this is what we're doing today. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Let that sink in. He's saying, I want you to identify with your family members all around the world, who are being mistreated today as if you were with them. Empathy. Remember them. You know, I hope for many of us, if a family member, a physical family member, is going through a hard time, physical or job loss or whatever, we want to stay in touch. We want to know how they're doing. We want to know how to support them, how to pray for them, right? Well, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, those are our family members. Yeah, some of them in this country, but other parts of the world are going through hard times. Remember them. Remember their needs. Remember, we're not just talking vaguely and theoretically. We're talking about really concrete situations. There were a number of videos shown today during the 10 o'clock hour that some of you saw and heard. They were powerful. Let me just tell you a couple of stories that I heard in the last couple of weeks from the people I work with. One of our brothers that we support as a church in North Africa, 
told me about a young man in his country in North Africa who came to Christ a, a while ago. When he came to faith, his family disowned him. His father went to the local imam, the local Islamic imam in his small town in North Africa, and they issued a fatwa, F-A-T-W-A. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a death sentence hanging over this guy's head so that he knows, a young man following Jesus, he knows that if he goes to his hometown, anyone could kill him and the authorities would do absolutely nothing because of this fatwa and he's been regarded as an infidel. That's his life. That's what he lives with every day. I heard another story, and it was on one of the videos at 10 o'clock. One of our brothers works in a, with people in a South Asian country, and when he was there recently, just a month ago, on one Sunday, three of their churches were attacked by people who came in, really beat on the worshipers, and did terrible damage to the buildings, the houses that they were meeting in. Three. All, it was obviously a coordinated effort on the same Sunday. That's what they live with. That's, what, that's their reality. And when we hear stories like that, how do we respond? How do we decide how to pray for them? I think, our, sadly, sometimes our temptation as Americans is to say, well, we believe in freedom of religion and it's a value. And the, the main thing we want to pray, and I think it's good to pray for it, the main thing we want to pray for is that the persecution would stop. I think we should pray for that. But I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And we need to understand a theology of persecution from Jesus' point of view. And that's what we see in these verses that we just read from the Beatitudes. So as we consider the topic, I want us to ask three questions. Number one, what is the persecution that Jesus is talking about here. Number two, why do his people experience it? Why can we expect to experience it? And number three, how can we, and those being persecuted, find hope and joy in the midst of it? Okay? What is it? Why do we experience it? How can we find joy and hope in the midst of it? So what is it? Uh, the Beatitudes are pretty surprising. I don't know if you've noticed this as you read through them. Uh, there are all these statements about blessing, blessing, blessing upon people who know the Lord and grow in him and in faith in him. And just to remind you, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And you go down that list, and if you didn't already know the conclusion, what, what do you think would be the last beatitude? You know, when you think of people who are learning to be gracious and humble and merciful and kind and making peace with others, don't you think the last one would be something like, if you do all of that, your life will be free of trial and trouble and everybody will like you and welcome you with open arms? And here, it's kind of shocking to read through that whole list. And then Jesus says, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Because there are going to be some people that will hate you and revile you and attack you and want to do harm to you. Really? Yes. That's what it is. The word that gets translated 
uh, persecution, persecuted in English, could actually be translated the harassed. Blessed are those who are harassed. Blessed are those who are pursued or, or chased. And sometimes it's physical, physical violence. Sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's ostracism. But Jesus says, I want you to know when, because of your faith in me, you are harassed and chased and people tell all kinds of evil things about you and try to do harm to you, I want you to know that you are blessed in the midst of that and that there's a way to find joy. Now, let me just clarify what he's not saying. Jesus does not simply say, blessed are those who are persecuted, full stop, period, the end. He clarifies it, (laughs) persecuted in a certain way. So in other words, he's not saying, blessed are you if you're persecuted for being obnoxious about your faith. Blessed are you if you're persecuted because you are proud and arrogant and argumentative about your faith or about some secondary issue. He's not saying, blessed are you if you're an idiot (laughs) and a jerk about the way you live out your Christian faith. Um, those are all theoretical possibilities that never happen to any of us, right? No, no. But he's saying, no, he's not talking about those kinds of situations. He's saying, blessed are you you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the gospel, in other words, and for your identity with me, where the offense is not you and your personality, but the offense is truly the gospel itself. Uh, Paul puts it this way in terms of our expectation in Philippians, where he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wow. The second part is there. That often it's granted that we will suffer for his sake, simply because we belong to him. Now, Jesus did not seek to be persecuted. He was persecuted, but he didn't seek it. Neither should we. But at the same time, we look at the life of Jesus, and he did not retreat from it, and neither should we. So the application of the passage for today isn't that you go home tomorrow and say, Lord, please bring persecution into my life this week. No, I don't think that's how you need to apply it. He may. We don't need to ask for it. But he is saying that sometimes it will come just because it's part of our identity with him. One of uh, my other friends in North Africa, when I said, tell me, tell me about some of the stories that you hear about those who have come to faith. They said, well, in our city we know of many brothers who've come to faith in Jesus. Because of their faith, they've lost their jobs and they've been unable to find any other work simply because of their identity with him, simply because of their identity with Jesus, that they belong to him. Um, in that country that I mentioned, where three churches were attacked about a month ago, uh, the worker there told me that most of their evangelism workers in that country who go around and share the gospel with others have been called in by the secret police and interrogated and told, you must stop 
talking about Jesus. In that part of the country, the government is trying to stamp out the Christian church. It's kind of ironic, because if you read the Bible and you read church history, usually when governments do that, the church flourishes. <laughs> and when the church makes it comfortable for the when the, when the government makes it comfortable for the church to be there, usually it suffers more. But the Lord is at work in those places. Jesus says, and he says this later in Matthew 5, that we're called to be salt and light in the world, and we will have an impact, but sometimes with that impact, there's also great opposition. I'm no prophet. I don't know what the future holds for the church in America in the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. But let me say this. I would not be surprised if it continues to become harder and more costly to be a true follower of Jesus in our culture. All the signals seem to be pointing in that direction, that it's going to become more difficult, more costly all the time. That's why these themes are so important for us. Will we be ready? Will the Lord give us the grace that we need when it is harder to stand up for his truth and be faithful to him where we face those difficult things. Scott Sauls, a PCA pastor, talks about possible conflict that we might experience in the future, and he says this, such conflict might actually be a sign of our faithfulness if it's what happens in the future for us. For it is not the presence of conflict, but rather the absence of conflict that should concern those who claim to be disciples of Christ. And I think he's right. So we need to look at our lives. Okay, Lord, there's an absence of conflict right now. Is that for good reasons or not? Okay, secondly, let's ask this question. Why do we experience the persecution that Jesus talks about? Again, look at verse 11 here. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Or as Eugene Peterson paraphrases in the message. He says, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. I like that. So why does it happen? Because when we're representing Jesus and carrying his message to the world, it's making some people really uncomfortable. And their decision then is to lash out and attack us because the truth is getting too close to home for them. Jesus promised that these kinds of things would happen. Here in John 15, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And Paul warns us this in 2 Timothy that you'll be studying in a few weeks. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, some of us read a verse like that and say, yikes. <laughs> I didn't know I signed up for that. But it's very clear in Scripture, just like what Jesus said in John 15. Some of you know a little bit about the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who opposed the Nazi regime in the 1930s and into the 40s, ended up being imprisoned and losing his life. 
because of his opposition to the Nazi regime. And years before all of that happened in his life, he wrote these words that ended up describing his life and the life of many brothers and sisters in the world today. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. It is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Wow. It's a joy and a token of his grace to suffer because of the name of Christ. So Jesus is saying, why do some Christians experience persecution? Because of our identity with him, because we become more like him, because we speak about him. Again, that that young man in North Africa that I mentioned, why was that fatwa issued against him, that death sentence? Simply because he told his family and his friends, I am a follower of Jesus. About a month ago, I was reading Tim Keller's devotional on the Psalms, and in responding to one of the Psalms, I think it was 106, he wrote this prayer, and it just hit me so hard in a good way, and see if it does the same for you. He said, Lord, I confess that in my public life, I am just not different enough from my neighbor's to attract either hostility or interest in my faith. I'm not visibly happier, kinder, humbler, or wiser than others. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me and give me grace. Uh, That really jumped out at me. Lord, I confess that I'm not just different enough. I'm just not different enough from my neighbors to attract either hostility or interest in my faith. I said, work in me, Lord, so that there would be some reaction. If there's no reaction, it's not a good sign, right? Jesus says, I want you to identify with me. I want you to be like me. I want you to be shaped into my image. And then, let's see, see what happens. And sometimes it'll be hard. Sometimes it'll be absolutely wonderful in terms of people's curiosity. But I want you to be like me. Okay, thirdly, how can we find hope and joy in the midst of persecution? And here's what Jesus says in verse 12. He ends on this note of joy. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's saying, when you're persecuted, I don't want you to sulk and lick your wounds in self-pity. I don't want you to just grin and bear it like a stoic. I don't want you to enjoy it as a masochist. But especially for our culture, I think we need to hear, I don't want you to retaliate with anger. And I don't want you to fight back. I think one of my biggest concerns for the church in America, if we face more persecution... In, in the midst of our polarized atmosphere right now, where we fight over everything, and everything goes viral on social media, one of my biggest concerns is if the persecution amps up for us, I am afraid that unless our hearts change, we're going to respond with way 
too much anger and hatred for those who are persecuting for us. And then we'll justify it and say, well, I know I have hatred, but I'm hating the right people. (laughs) Say, no, that doesn't work. Jesus doesn't give you a pass on that. Jesus is saying, remember what he says at the end of Matthew 5, if you are persecuted, he says, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want you to live out your go- the gospel in a way that is appealing to folks, that finds joy in me, and that still loves them in the midst of all kinds of fierce opposition. Do you remember the story in Acts 5 where, and here I'll read this in a second, but the, the background of this story is some of the early apostles were called before the authorities in Jerusalem And they were told to stop preaching the gospel, and they were beaten. Now, we don't know how badly they were beaten, but I'm sure they were bloody, and I'm sure they were hurting. And before they left, they were told, okay, you can go back out on the streets, but stop talking about Jesus. And here's what the text tells us they did. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And... Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They did exactly what they were forbidden to do, and they rejoiced. And who knows, they may have remembered this verse from Matthew 5. Um, And why were they able to do that? I think it's partly explained in this verse in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I love that phrase, persecuted, but not forsaken, because we know the Lord is with us. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In the book of Daniel, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and the king comes to look for them, and they should have died instantly. And he looks in the furnace and says, how many guys did we throw in here? Didn't we throw in three? There's a fourth one, and he looks like the Son of Man. They were preserved, and Jesus was with them, walking with them in that furnace. And that's what Paul is saying here. We can face these persecutions because we are not forsaken. Jesus walks with us through the fire, and we can have joy in him. So one of my friends in North Africa told me a story about a woman who uh, had resisted the gospel for, for a number of years. She knew believers, and she consistently said to them, I know that you have the truth. I know that you have the truth, but I'm afraid to believe because it, will, it would cost me too much. Well, after a period of time, she did cross the line. She came to Jesus. She embraced him as her Savior and Lord. And then the costs came. Shops refused to serve her. People told lies at her. People smeared all kinds of nasty, ugly things on her door. But our friends there who know her on the ground say, to talk with her about her faith in Jesus and what it has cost her is so humbling and overwhelming because there's such joy on her face And she will tell us again and again, it is so worth it.
Because I have found that treasure hidden in the field. And I know a joy in Jesus that no one can take away. It's the joy that he's talking about in this passage. He is with me. And he is blessing me. Notice that that in verse 12 in the passage, what does Jesus talk about? When he talks about joy. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And that's what a lot of these people end up thinking about, a lot more than, than many of us do, thinking about what lies ahead of them. Um, as you can imagine, you might imagine, I've been thinking of a, about heaven a lot more this year than any year in my life to this point. When it became clear that the Lord was going to take my bride, my life partner, to be with him to heaven, It's made me think about it, notice passages in Scripture, in hymns and songs, and read books about it. I just want to know more, more about it. Jesus is calling us for a recalibration of our whole view of time and to remember, this life is short, eternity is forever. And the worst case scenario for a believer is that we'll get to heaven faster, to be with him, where there's no more pain and no more suffering. And uh, some of you have heard this story, but let me tell it again, that right before Sue died, I think it was two days before the Lord took her home, I spoke to her saying, Honey, it looks like the Lord is taking you home to be with him very soon. I don't want to lose you. But it looks like that's what's happening. And without hesitation, and she's on morphine and, you know, not even all there mentally, but... It's amazing what came out of her at that moment. Without hesitation, she said, she said, that is my sure and certain hope. All of this that I'm going through now is not worth comparing with what's going to come. And I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Those were some of her last words. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. It was breathtaking. And it was so beautiful that the Lord had prepared her and given her that confidence. I think Jesus, in this passage, for those going through persecution, is saying, I want you to know that same kind of truth, that I'm preparing you for that, that you will see me face to face. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. You will be in my presence. All those things that we sang about, and is he worthy, that song, are going to be true That's what's ahead of us. That's our hope. And that's what what he's doing. So one of our brothers in that that country where three churches were attacked last month, the following Sunday, and this was on one of the videos at 10 o'clock, the following Sunday he was in another church, and the pastor announced that he was preaching on Philippians 1, where Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And to paraphrase one of the surrounding verses, he says, Paul says, I may even have to die so his honor will be seen in me. I may even have to die. And our brother who was there, he said it was was amazing. This pastor's courage and faith, knowing, yeah, I may die. Because I'm a follower of Jesus in this country where they're trying to stamp us out. But he said, that's okay. 
because I know my life is in his hands. How do we pray for those folks? We pray that that kind of faith and that kind of confidence grows and deepens and continues. As we pray for for that part of the world, those parts of the world that are being persecuted today, and as we pray for ourselves, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that sometimes it is through the worst kind of suffering and oppression and persecution that the gospel has triumphed. Rarely has the gospel gone forward with power when the church has been in a position of earthly power and position. It's often when we are a marginalized minority without any earthly power, even persecuted, that the gospel advances in the most powerful way. So, Believers in that country, in South Asia, many of them believe that revival is coming because the Lord is working in the midst of this persecution. Let's pray for them that it would be the case. And may we pray for us, too, in our country that that we will be ready if indeed we become a more and more marginalized minority. May we pray that we will respond not with hatred, not with rage, not with retaliation, but with a Christ-like love for people around us that, that he will use to bring people of faith. In closing, let me share, this is a wonderful quote from the author Madeline Langle, where she talks about this. We draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That's a great summary. We show them that light so that they will want to know it. Will everybody? No. Some will get mad. Some will get angry. Some will lash out at us. But if we live the gospel out this way, the way she's describing, yes, some people will be drawn to the light and say, I want to know. Where this strength, where this courage, where this hope, where this joy, where this faith comes from. I want to know the same Redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great and powerful and amazing love for us. And on this uh, very special Sunday, as we remember brothers and sisters around the world, We do pray that you'd give them joy and courage and hope and faith and resiliency. And we pray that through all of that, your gospel would advance. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters in this country, where in many ways we don't experience a lot of persecution, but the temptations are to respond in ways that don't honor you. Lord, I pray that you'd have mercy on the church in America that if indeed things continue to get harder and harder for us, that we would shine like lights in this darkness in ways that would honor you and give you glory. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the suffering, the persecution, the weakness that you endured for our sake. That's, it's through all of that that we're saved. And we believe that it's often going to be through all of that that your kingdom advances as well in our lives. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.